0: Alright, I know y'all are anxious to get into this week's episode, but before we do, we wanted to take a second to give a shout out for another five star review from one of our amazing listeners. Yes, this one is from A Eaton 88. So thank you, A Eaton 88. And it says, love their grit. Refreshing podcast. Farron and Brooke have invested a lot of time and energy with their true passion, helping others find their grit in life. Every episode is entertaining, informative, and encouraging. Highly encourage anyone to listen. Yes, tell the others. (laughs) Bring your friends. (laughs) Yes, tell the friends too. If you leave a five-star review on iTunes, then you too have a chance of having your review read out loud. A little shout-out at the beginning of our next episode. Remember, we love all of these reviews. We read them all. And did you know, it actually helps other people find our podcast. So if you like what you're hearing and you want to help spread the Jesus love, leave a five-star review and it bumps it up in the list. Yeah, don't be selfish. There's plenty (laughs) of us to go around. Yes. You get an episode. You get an episode. (laughs) Everyone gets an episode. Yay. Share with your friends. This is episode 78. We are in a new and our final for the year 2020, which has been nothing short of an amazing hoot. It's <laughs> one way to describe it. It's been quite a hoot. So yes, we have AJ Cheryl on with us today. We are doing a book promo mini series, and we are kicking it off with him and we're actually ending it with Tara Lee Cobble, which is pretty amazing. So stay tuned. We're going to have four authors. Yes, I'm looking forward to our book interview series. We love books here at the Witty and Gertie podcast. And so I can't wait to hear what the authors have to share with us. All right, we're diving into AJ's interview. All right, guys, we are doing our book review, book promotion mini-series. And we have AJ Cheryl today, and it's the Enneagram for Spiritual Formation. AJ, thanks for coming on the show. We're so excited to have you.
1: Yeah, nice to meet you, Brooke and Farron.
0: Yes, tell us a little bit about your background, and how you got interested in the Enneagram, and how this is all going to relate to spiritual growth um, in your walk with Christ.
1: Yeah, I've sort of lived all over the country, from Southern California to New York City, Atlanta, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Most recently, I've moved to Charleston, South Carolina, all those places. I've pastored churches, Um, and I really care about the church. I care about um, discipleship and people following Jesus, um, and growing not just for themselves, but for the sake of the world. Um, and I, I first learned the Enneagram from a monk years ago while studying with Father Richard Rohr. Uh, he was teaching a class for my doctorate program at Fuller Seminary um, back in the mid to early 2010s, somewhere in there. And he started just like gushing on this theory, which wasn't even why we were together for the week. And I was like, wait, 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 what? Did you say pentagram? <laughs> and he was like, No. (laughs) And so for half a day, we just talked Enneagram and I was like, I love this thing. And it was really helpful for me because it really didn't just expose kind of what we like and what we're good at, but also like some really broken sides that we prefer to just unname. And I was just at a place in my journey where I was sort of stuck and bored looking for the next sort of self-awareness understanding that I might become more like Christ. And so the Enneagram was helpful for me because I just got to name a bunch of stuff that we typically just shove under the rug.
0: I love that. I love that it's giving names to the things that we need to know. So instead of just being like, ah, that's not a thing. Nope, we're calling it out. This is what it is. Now let's get better at it. So you know Suzanne Stabil and Ian Cron?
1: Yeah. So after I studied with Richard, uh, I lived in New York City at the time, and um Ian had given me a little invite out to Greenwich, which is where he was living at the time. He and Suzanne had sort of begun talks about a book that later became known as The Road Back to You. And so I went out and spent a day with them. And at a break, I said to Suzanne, hey, listen, who's who's doing, who's doing taking this like into the world of spiritual formation, into the local church? And she was like, there's no one that I currently know that's doing that. And So I ended up doing my dissertation on it. And um, that workshop was a, big inspiration for me to, you know, do workshops around the world and start to help the church think through formation through the lens of personality.
0: I love that. So what is the story behind the book? You mentioned in, before we began recording that this is not necessarily the first version of this. So um, how did we get to this copy?
1: Yeah, I, I actually self-published my dissertation. My, my thesis advisor was like, hey, you should just put this on the market. And at the time, I was like, well, I'll just self-pub. And it it did pretty well, and so Baker bought the rights to it, and I extended it and added some stuff and took out some stuff and just made it more palatable to the everyday person. Um, but I got I'm really interested, first of all, in in like how formation has a lot to do with our personality. Um, but I'm also really interested in helping disentangle identity and personality because I think a lot of that a lot of people get stuck in that, or they're turned off by the Enneagram because it's like, oh, you're telling me I'm a number, that's my identity, and it's like, no, 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 that's actually not what we're telling you. Um, Your personality is not your identity. Your personality is a strategy. Uh, Your identity is that you're beloved by God, uh, no matter who you are and what you've done or where you're headed. God loves you, that God loves you, that God loves you. However, uh, you do have a personality that's been forged over time and that can become um, more healthy and whole um, as we follow Jesus and cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. So um, how do we think about the uniqueness of how God made us? Um, not in our identity, because we're all beloved, but in our personality, because we're all different.
0: I love that. So we're going to jump through your table of contents here. And you have six chapters in this book. So we'll just go chapter by chapter, just a little quick insight about each of these and how they can help you in your sanctification process. So let's talk about the Enneagram and identity. What can you tell us just a little bit about that?
1: Well, I mean, at the I mean, in in full honesty, like people are turned off because they feel totalized when it comes to the Enneagram. They feel like you've put me in a box or I'm not interested in that because I don't want you to, to totalize and reduce me to something. Um, and so like the beginning of my book is really clear that um, as I previously said, like your identity is the root system of your life. And so what grows out of that over the course of time is your personality. And that's a little bit different than your, your root system. So your core personality is different than your your root identity. And so imagine a tree. So you have these roots underground, which is what is true about you. It anchors you. And what comes out of that over the course of time as you forge your personality um, is your sort of trunk, if you will. And based on how you live, you end up bearing all sorts of fruits and character and all that stuff. Um, So all that is connected, and yet it's distinct in ways that I think we need to get really clear so that people don't sort of confuse the two.
0: I love that. I also love your analogy of the tree. I'm a very visual person, so even just seeing that in your book, it's like, yes, I love how this makes sense in my brain now. Yes, we're educators, so we appreciate a good analogy and visual, so you have a lot of good organization and images and illustrations in the book really convey your, your message, so that's really nice. So what can you tell us about the Enneagram of personality? So kind of working through chapter, chapter two, we already talked about community, you're rooted in Christ, you're beloved by God. So how does that play into effect with the personality?
1: Yeah, so as you grow, I mean, people will ask me all the time, like, is your personality nature or nurture? And it's like, yes, yeah. you are probably born with a, a, you know, a, a um, disposition for certain types based on your genetic makeup. But over the course of time, we have a series of experiences. You know, I think that's why Suzanne says that by age 20, you sort of have enough life experience to know your raw personality. But you also haven't typically been put into life situations where you've had to sort of perform in certain ways because of necessity. Um, so I, I always tell people in their 20s, like think back to when you were 20 years old. That was like a typically for a lot of Western people. that's like a a free time in their life where they're, they have a lot of choices that perhaps they can make in different directions they can go. Um, so your personality is sort of a, a combination between the two and it's forged over time. And so uh, as many of your listeners know, there are five main types and those five types are really great presenters. You obviously have all nine in you. Um, and yet I find um, that typically as you get more and more clear about uh, what you're motivated by, you end up sort of rooting into a core, which, you know, Father rorto told me. I remember saying like, okay, how do I know my core? Cause I kind of see eight, I kind of see three, there's some seven in there. He's like, it's the type that brings you the most humiliation. And I'm like, oh my goodness, who would want to do this? Um, and that's what I really enjoyed about it as weird. I'm not masochistic, I promise. It was. It was just like that invitation to get really clear about my brokenness. And here's why that matters in the identity personality distinction. Because when you start gaining humiliation about your type, we automatically want to go to our identity, right? That, oh my gosh, I am this, or I am that. It's like, no, you're not. You present that way, and that's broken. However, that's just your personality. And that can grow and be changed, just like your neuroplasticity, just like your emotional trauma. All that stuff can be transformed. And so most people, when they hear that, they can go to shame really quickly. And so it's important to help people know that your personality is not your identity. You don't have to live with chronic shame. Being a two is not a problem. Being a six (laughs) is not an issue, right? Um, So humiliation can then be seen as a friend that can help guide you into bringing your brokenness into the light and seeing Christ transform that over the course
0: of time. So do you think that's the first hurdle for people to kind of overcome, to really maximize the use of the Enneagram for spiritual growth is like separating and making that distinction?
1: Yeah, I think it's really helpful. Um, And, you know, I think the biggest thing with, um, you know, uh, with sort of recognizing those things is determining um, what our next steps are. So, you know, one of my cardinal rules, I get four rules at the beginning of this book. And one of them is that um, the Enneagram is a means and not an end. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for people that are like, oh, I know my type, I now know the Enneagram. uh, It's like, listen, if you're not going to work your number, you're just wasting your time. Like, if you think the whole point of this thing is just to find your number, I, I feel like that's sort of not the point of the Enneagram. It's just a tool. It's not a Christian tool. It's not a new age tool. It's not a satanic tool uh, as much as I've gotten, you know, emails about, you know, it leading us to Satan. Um, it, is a, it is simply a neutral tool that, the, that a follower of Jesus can use to guide us into spiritual practices based on our
0: personality. I love that. That ties in nicely with chapter three. So discipleship in the Enneagram, why don't you uh, lead us through that just a little bit real quick?
1: Yeah, so I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for 20 years. I love the church. Uh, does she have her words? Absolutely, we all do. Um, at the same time, I think one of my critiques of the local church, um, critiques of my own leadership, is that we typically batch spiritual formation. In other words, we say things like this. Hey, um, read your Bible, come to church, um, maybe give some money, and you know, uh, in 30 years, you'll be different. And what I find by and large is most people don't feel different. They just feel older after 30 years. And so I begin to wonder like, okay, maybe there's like many ways to read the Bible. Maybe there's many ways to pray. Maybe there's different ways to give. What if some of that stuff has to do with our personality? That we need to be thinking about spiritual practices, not batched, saying everybody just do these three things, but saying, wow, the presence of God is so massive and so radically available there are so many pathways to experience the presence of God. Maybe we need to be thinking about as pastors, how to equip the church to understand this wide library of ancestry that has followed Jesus in so many different pathways with the same Lord. So how do I expose my church to say, okay, what's like desert father practices? You know, what's monastic practice? What is, uh, you know, Protestant Reformation Bible study practice? What does it mean to have intercessory prayer, prophetic prayer, contemplative prayer, centering prayer? There are so many different angles into pursuing the presence. And I think the way that we are wired in our personality helps invite us into practices differently that may really help um, foster growth and challenge within our personalities.
0: I like that because it's like you said, it's not one size fits all. So why would I assume that Sharon, like whatever you do will work for me? We're two different people. We might even be in two different life phases. So yeah, that might work for me in five years when my kids are older. Yes. Now that's not working.
1: Yes. And what happens is, is like this too, like um, we're really good at circling what we're good at and then sort of ignoring the rest. And we, we didn't call that following Jesus or whatever, right? And so like the practices I give for each type, because every type I give at least two practices in the book, Um, I call what's called upstream and downstream practices. I'll give you an example. So imagine you take a raft and you're getting into the lazy river. Wherever the current takes you without any resistance or paddling, that's your downstream practice. In other words, those are practices that come easy for you, that you find life-giving, it's natural, it feels good. That's really, really good. And yet, there's another practice that I call upstream And those are practices that you're going to have to swim against the current in, in order to grow. Because they're not going to be natural. They're really hard to do. They might be awkward. You might even feel bored. Um, Nevertheless, I think to avoid those sorts of practices um, means that we will avoid following Jesus and growing certain sort of areas of our life.
0: I think a lot of people struggle finding their giftings and passions. And so the fact that you give them downstream like you know if you've identified your type then here's something you might try but then our audience is also full of people that want to grow like what would be a good direction they want to grow but maybe not risk and waste you know a bunch of time trying all these different things so I do appreciate that you kind of guide them in a hey if you're looking to challenge yourself and grow you might start here
1: yeah and it's totally not prescriptive like You know, if you were to read it, the the one type, for example, and, you know, you were a nine and we're like, wow, I really like the one practices That could be helpful, but I can't do that because it's a one. It's like, no, no, no. These are descriptive. These aren't prescriptive, but based on your personality, they may be more helpful if you're this type. So.
0: I love that. All right. So Enneagram in scripture. So heading through chapter four, again, I love how you've broken it up. I like how it's all Outline. I'm a one, so when I was going through the book, yes, this is beautiful. <laughs>
1: yeah, so the limit I have today is that I don't think many Christians read the Bible, um, and that's not like a, I'm not, that's not an accusation. It's, it's just indicative. It's happening, right, or it's not happening, I should say, and so I don't know that ever before we've had more Bibles sold but less Bibles read. And I think some of the reason that is is that people just view it as a sort of ancient relic that sits on my shelf and may or may not have anything to contribute to my life. And what I find is that though the context and technology has changed in the course of two, three, four thousand years, the motives that we still live by are exactly the same as King Saul, as Peter, as Ruth. These motives have not changed in human history. And so what I want to help people do is to find their motive, show up in scripture so that when they read Peter, when they read King Saul, they can begin to say, oh my goodness, that's what I do, even though it's a different moment in human history, right? And so it, it sort of helps us to see ourselves connected to the ancestors that we see in the scripture and not so detached and I'm passionate about that because I want people to see themselves in the scripture. Now, what I'm not saying is that Peter's a six. What I am saying is that you can see Peter presents six over and over as he goes through fear, fear and courage, fear and courage. He's always in that dance, just like a six is. And so what I want people to see is I can find myself in Peter as he is struggling to follow Jesus. I too am struggling to follow Jesus. Um, So that's what I'm really passionate about with that section. So each type gets a sort of biblical character or narrative to sort of journey through and to see afresh through the lens of your own personality.
0: I love that too, because then you can read, so my husband's an eight, so it would be helpful to see kind of maybe what he struggles with by reading his section too. So I like how everything is applicable, not just for you to grow, but even like you to spiritually grow together with your spouse or partner or friend or whomever.
1: Totally. That leads to like a let me interject for a second on that. I have people say in workshops that I do all the time, like, hey, like with my spouse, did I marry the wrong type or should I marry this type or whatever, right? And I know you've done stuff on relationships before um with the Enneagram. And um I, I think the, the one thing I'm constantly telling people, because I'm not a marriage therapist or counselor and don't pretend to be, but I think it's like, hey, listen, like whatever your type is and whatever your spouse's type is or you know, the person that you're dating or whatever whatever they are, like every marriage works when there's humility and there's no marriage that really works when there's not. If both parties are willing to say like humility is a primary cardinal virtue that I'm gonna live into, I think every type coming together is like this beautiful, unique cocktail that the world has never seen before and is so amazing. But when there's not humility in both parties, it's just a disaster. Um, so anyway, just a little extra credit for anyone that might be saying, did I marry the wrong type? Or should I be thinking about a certain type when I get married, et cetera, et
0: cetera. I think that's a really good point. I'm just curious, what does humility look like in a relationship? In- consent. Right.
1: Yeah, so um, it, it's looking at your partner and saying, I am willing to defer to your flourishing So what does that look like for us to follow each other and to lead each other? So there's just been times in my marriage where I've said to Elena, my wife, like, I'll follow you. And I want to see your dreams come into reality. Like your role in our marriage isn't to fulfill my dreams. Our role is to somehow find this beautiful um, give and take of making sure that we're both flourishing in life. So we have like pretty regular check-ins around flourishing where I might be flourishing in a season, but she's not. I mean, it's what led us to Charleston. We checked in during COVID and she was like, hey, listen, I'm sort of dying on the vine here in the Midwest and the Midwest is a great place, no love lost, but it's not where she's from. And it was just like, wow, I'm doing really well here, but you're not, that's like a problem for me. I want that to be a problem for me. So humility is just, I think that sense of being willing to check in to say, are you flourishing? And if not, it is one of my primary goals in life to see you flourish. And when that happens in a marriage, it's really, really beautiful.
0: I love that. It's like a when you lose, I lose. It's not like it's like you were saying, AJ, it's not about me fulfilling my dreams, but if you're over here losing, I lose because at the end totally. of the day we're together. So if half of us is dying, that's not thriving in any way.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And to get back to what we were saying earlier too, I do think that when you're able to see Enneagram number tendencies, like your same type, like you said not supposed to type people. So we're not exactly typing people in scripture, but we can see some of those behaviors and motivations. Um, when you're able to have that connection, you're able to get that much more than out of scripture, because again, you can relate. So I really like that. And again, in case we hadn't said it enough in that chapter, I'll go through and he gives examples for each Enneagram type. So be sure you get this book. Life. So we
1: we love. I think it's Don Richard Riso's um, institute, or maybe it's any app. One of them actually gives your dynamic in your marriage with your 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 partner's type, and we laugh our heads off because I'm a three, she's a five, and. Um, I'll have this moment. So she's a massive investigator researcher. She's always interrogating. Whatever story I'm telling, she's asking further questions, wants more information. So I I tell this story often where I'll come home from work and be like, oh, so-and-so told me that they're going to the Caribbean for vacation. And she'll be like, "Um, oh, that's cool. Who are they going with? And I'll be like, I don't know. Oh, yeah. What island? I'm not sure. How long are they going? I don't know. What are the dates? I don't know. What are they going to do there? I don't know. So I will come home and preface stories probably once a week by saying, okay, listen, I'm about to tell you a story. This is all the information I have. (laughs) Ask any, no follow-up questions. I know and we crack up about it. Well, me more than she um, just because she's so good at assaulting me with questions. And I feel so dumb as a three, like, oh, I should have thought to ask that. I have no idea. I'm so shallow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that is hilarious. We actually interviewed a three and a five about this time last year, and they have a similar dynamic, which is hilarious. Okay, so chapter five is all about evangelism. So now how can we pivot? Now what we know, how we're growing, how can we help others now?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, recognize your personality is a strategy and it's a strategy to hold the brokenness of the world. We all do that differently. And, um, I think it's a really great invitation to think about inserting spirituality into the conversation. You know, if you go into your office, your neighborhood function, your, you know, fill in the blank, your PTA, whatever you start talking about sin, people are like, uh, you know, where's the door? But it seems like the Enneagram is sort of a neutralizer where people that are into this thing, which is like across traditions, um, people are like into talking about brokenness and they're into talking about, yeah, this is how I sort of show up and I'm recognizing a need for more self-awareness and growth in my own life or whether it has to do with, you know, unconscious bias or making sure that, you know, racism isn't, you know, that we're naming that in ourselves, all this sort of stuff that, that we often don't name in our childhood growing up. Um, I think that the Enneagram is such a beautiful new way to insert um, our need, um, our need for breakthrough. And when the time is right, our need for a savior. That like, whatever your personality is, which is your strategy to save yourself in the world, um, eventually that doesn't work. Eventually that breaks down somewhere. And so it's just having those sorts of conversations where we can be honest about our brokenness um, as a way of talking about, you know, Sin without having to use that word that shuts people down. So, um, in that chapter, there's a Kuwaiti spiritualist, not a Christian. He he goes through each type and actually talks about what's called holdings that we're all trying to hold the world in a certain way because we all sort of know it's not working. We all sort of know sort of know that um, there's a better world that God had in mind. Um, and so, I, I I use it as a way of saying, listen, if you're interested in, in evangelism. Um, this is an awesome tool to meet people halfway and to begin to talk about the reality of our need for something more.
0: I like your meeting them halfway because the common humanity experience is that we're all broken. We all mess up. We all try to do better and then we mess up again, and it's just cyclical. Like it's that verse in the Bible. I don't remember who said it, but he's like, "I do the thing that I don't want to do." <laughs> <Every> yeah, yeah. <time. laughs>
1: so that's Paul Romans. Yeah,
0: so it's like the common ground of everybody. Like we all mess up, we're all trying to do better, we're trying to grow. So I like how it's using the tool to find the common ground.
1: Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. And it also gives you an opportunity to share your own brokenness, right? I mean, how often is evangelism? Like, I have the answer, you have a problem, let me give you the answer, and you can fix the problem of like, oh, wait, let me tell you how I am broken, and how I'm trying to hold the world, and it's not working for me, right? That's such a better way in. Than you know having all the answers which we don't anyway um, and so I, it's a great neutralizer in that way
0: right there's power in healthy vulnerability so I think whenever we can share that piece obviously in a healthy way then you can find that common ground and you can walk through that together instead of being like you're messed up here's how to fix it go do it now okay mm-hmm. yeah I definitely totally to do that now cool. Okay, chapter six is all about character. So how does that tie in with the Enneagram and what you have in this book for us?
1: Yeah, so what I want people to walk away with is designing a rule of life or designing a habit, if you will. Um, So imagine like you have a trellis, which is a dead piece of wood. And then imagine you have a vine, which is a live plant. Um, what I want to suggest is, you know, there are some communities, some traditions in the church that are just dead pieces of wood. They're just, they're just, you're just going through the motions here. And then there are other communities where there's life, but it's just like out of control. It's chaotic. It's like spontaneous all the time, blah, blah, blah. So how do we marry those two together? So we want life. We want the life of the spirit inside of us and in our communities, but we also need to somehow um, organize it in such a way that it can grow consistently and cohesively So that's where the trellis comes in. So I want to help people design a trellis. Another word for that is spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, spiritual rhythms so that they can cultivate the presence of God and grow in their life. So character has a lot to do with that. So um, we have to get clear, like once we know our personality and our practices what are the virtues that we actually want to grow in? So I'll give you an example. Like Paul gives us these great lists called the fruit of the spirit. So if you're struggling right now with patience as a parent, you should think about practices that are going to challenge your patience. And that's going to grow you more in the area of Christ likeness as you cultivate God's spirit. So like our practices shouldn't just be sort of detached from personality or detached from virtues. We should think about growing in, let's say self-control. Well, I can think of really great ways to grow in patience and self-control and to change your neuro, your, your neurology through, let's just say centering prayer or contemplative spirituality. So like as a three, I just want to produce all the time. I just want to achieve and sort of like pad my resume and grow the thing or whatever. And God's just like, no, I'm actually calling you to be, I'm actually not calling you to do things more. And if you're going to be a better dad, Like, you've you've got to learn to be patient. And to do that, there are practices that we can do in our prayer life to grow in patience, where it's not about achieving, it's not about doing things, it's about being. In the midst of that, I change the way my brain functions. And that helps me down the road when my daughter's driving me crazy. Because then I'm not just functioning in the amygdala, you know, snapping off in some sort of impatient tirade or whatever, I'm actually allowing my prefrontal cortex to get involved where empathy and um, all sorts of virtue can come to be, but that takes practice. And the contemplative tradition for me has been so huge. Um, It's big for sevens. It's big for threes. It's big for twos. These sorts of personalities really do well with learning to sit and to be with God.
0: Well, it sounds like you've read Carolyn Leaf switch on your brain. So if you haven't read that yet, you really should. I think you'd love the nerd out process yes. since you rattled off lots of brain things. So we got her nerd, nerd. I know I'm excited. over. <laughs> we just did a book study on that. It oh, that's
1: hard. awesome. Yes.
0: Yeah, so yeah. our audience knows about neuroplasticity and how it does look like a tree. So whenever I saw the tree in the book, I was like, yes, I'm going to nerd out. So I love that you have the practices in here. It, again, our audience, they are busy. They want practical, actionable, and this book does it. It says, here are some things you can try. Here are what other people have tried. Here are some things you can try. Start here. If you don't know where to start, instead of just closing your eyes and pointing, here's the thing you can actually start with and go for yes. this. That's so practical. I love it. Before we wrap up, I always like to ask the people we interview, is there any last big takeaway you want the audience to walk away with, maybe a question we didn't set you up for, or just an overarching idea um, from your book or from your life experiences that you'd like to share?
1: No, I like the challenge to think on my feet here. I I really feel like we are in a moment where um, the contemplative tradition, I know I, I've said that a lot tonight, I'm actually a charismatic by nature, um, The contemplative tradition, I think, is going to, it needs to happen no matter what your number is. You have these neurons in your hippocampus, which is where you store your working memory. Those are shrinking because your neurons in your amygdala are expanding because you're in a constant state of stress. And so because of that, we always, our brains think we're always looking at a lion around the corner. And so I'm saying to everyone I'm doing counseling with, and even for myself, like, we have got to figure out, how to slow our brains down and how to get our hearts healthy. I just invite you, you know, to take a deep dive into contemplative spirituality. There's a couple books, Thomas Keating wrote a book called Open Heart, Open Mind that I just think is so helpful. That's sort of like 201. If you're looking for a 101 book, um, I wrote a book a few years ago called Quiet, Hearing God Amidst the Noise that I'm actually republishing with Baker next year that includes a lot of this neurology stuff with it.
0: How would you define in simple terms contemplative tradition, maybe for our audience that hasn't heard that before?
1: So good. So let's think about prayer. There's different ways to pray. I'll just make it really simple. You, you start in your young childhood learning to talk at God, right? You kneel down at your bed. Now i lay me down to sleep. And then you move eventually into talking with God where it's more of a conversation, more of a dialogue. And then you move into listening to God, where you're listening for a word, a vision, God's will. But there's this fourth stage that we rarely get to, and it's called being with God. So we talk at God, we talk with God, we listen to God, but rarely do we learn to be with God. And it's in those moments where words are welcome, but they're not necessary. You actually, it's like sitting across the table from someone you're in love with. You know, I used to see old couples sitting next to me, and they wouldn't be saying much. And I'd be like, oh, how sad. And now I think maybe they knew something I didn't, which is like sometimes just gazing into um, your friend's face or your spouse's eyes. There you go. It's like communicates something so much deeper than than words need to. Um, and so it's that sort of mentality with our relationship with God. Who I mean, Jesus was constantly <laughs> like getting away from the crowds, going off by himself. And you have to think like, the 40 days in the wilderness, eventually he ran out of things to say. So you have to think so much of that time that Jesus is spending with the Father is just in being, in stillness and solitude and quiet, just enjoying the presence of the Father. And it's that sort of enjoyment, the delight of being that I think is a deeper sort of romance with the divine, Than just hurling prayers off in the beginning of the morning and then getting on with your day, which I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying like that can't be the full diet of our spirituality if we're gonna sustain faith for the course of a lifetime.
0: I love it. Okay, so where can, we have a link for your book, but where can someone just, where can they find it besides our website and our show notes?
1: Yeah, yeah, Amazon or anywhere books are sold from what I understand, so.
0: And if bookstores
1: okay. are open these days. So sad.
0: <laughs> Amazon's always open. Thanks, Jeff. I
1: know. I know.
0: So, so, where can people find you on the good old internet if they want to learn more yeah. about you, do, what you offer, what you do? Where
1: can they find Yeah, ajsherald.org. Um, and then, you know, I'm obviously on Twitter through my name, Instagram as well. And uh, I pastor a church in Charleston area called um, St. Peter's Church.
0: All right. Well, it was amazing having you on the show. Let us know when that next book comes out. Yes, guys, go check out his book. Um, we gave you just the tease of the topic covers. But again, in several of the chapters, it breaks down suggestions and recommendations by your Enneagram number and type. So um, there's still a lot of meat on the bone for you to go check out for sure. And we'll link everything in the show notes. So wittyandgritty.blog. Make sure you find this episode and we will chat with y'all later. We help busy Christians get the growth they want by giving them the tools they need. We love providing our Christian-based personal growth podcast to our listeners at no cost. If you are enjoying the content, please consider supporting our mission by donating to our Patreon. We're a small team creating the show for our community by researching, recording, and producing the episodes ourselves. Any amount is greatly appreciated. Your support will help offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you can receive exclusive access. For more details on specific membership tiers, visit our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com forward slash wittyandgritty. We've included the link in the show notes.